I'm going to preach a word this morning. I'll make no bones about it. I heard this word 40 years ago, and it stayed with me and lived with me ever since. The guy that brought the word 40 years ago has gone to glory. He's no longer with us. But I'm going to keep that baton going. I, I don't believe a sermon dies with somebody. I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, if somebody spoke wise words, then uh, by all means. Thank you. And, and it's, uh, it's funny because I heard that one, this word preached one night in a tent in Southport 40 years ago. And guess who else was in that tent? Mr. Paul Cliff, same night. I didn't know him then. But hasn't God got a funny way of bringing things around? <laughs> I'm going to speak uh, today on the, uh, the subject of the judgment seat of Christ. And I can honestly say I've never heard this spoke about in church. Never. In all my time as being a Christian, I've never heard anybody speak on the judgment seat of Christ. So what is it? Can you put that verse up, Jill, in uh, 2 Corinthians, please? This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And he says, for we, he's, he's speaking to the church, for we, okay, must, must, not maybe, must. All, all, not some of us, all of us. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body. What body? The body of Christ. This judgment is not for non-believers. This judgment is for believers. It's for the family and I want to emphasize this point this morning. This is for the family of God. Okay? For the things done in the body, whether good or bad. We've got to be very careful in, in, when we're interpreting Scripture. There are certain threads that run through the Bible. There are, there are threads of uh, salvation. Uh, there are scriptures for the church that relate to the church. There are scriptures that relate to Israel. It's very, very important. There are also scriptures that relate to the kingdom. And like an electrician who's connecting wires up, red wires to red wires, and black wires to black wires, etc., etc., that we make the right connections, that we connect Scripture up in context, that we don't take a, a Scripture that's speaking about uh, salvation, for instance, and connect it to Scriptures that are talking about the kingdom. Because, like the electrician, if we get the wires crossed, the lights don't come on. The cooker doesn't work, etc., etc. We must get Scripture in context. 
Where's your glasses, Bob? They're here. So this judgment, there are other judgments. There's the judgments of the great white throne, for instance. That is not for believers. I don't know what your eschatology is, but that, script, that particular judgment, at this judgment seat of Christ, there is no resurrection of the dead from the sea, from this. There is no opening books and judges' works. What have you done? Are you, are you going to be saved? There's none of that. This is for the church. So church, pay particular attention. Make a difference where God makes a difference. I'm going to read from uh, Genesis 49. And you might think, well, that's a funny place to speak about the judgment seat of Christ. But if you read the book of Genesis, there's, everything's in there. Salvation's in there. Speaks about kingdoms. It, it, the book of Genesis is, wow. And if you read the book of Genesis and study it, then you might, I'm going to be uh, telling you certain little stories and portions but if you get into these characters, it brings a greater understanding of, of, of things that have happened and, and of things to come. So I'm, I'm going to read from Genesis 49, beginning at verse 1. He said, Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves, that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear or sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, preeminence in dignity and preeminence in power. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they slew men, and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel, I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And then going on to verse 20. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a spring, its branches run over a wall. The archers attacked him and shot at him and harassed him, but his bow remained firm and his arms were agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. And going on to uh, verse 26, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors 
up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. Father, will you just bless the uh, reading of your word, Lord, and help me with this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why am I reading about something that's happened in Genesis and relating it to something that's going to happen in the future? Well, I believe that this is a foreshadowing, a type of the judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment seat of Jacob. And we're going to have a look at some of these sons, these lads this morning, and see how they're performed in the family. You see, these 12 lads were all going to be rulers in a kingdom, kingdom of Israel. They're the heads of the tribes, the sons of Jacob. And if you can picture the scene that uh, Jacob is on, uh, on his deathbed, he's an old man. And he summons, summons his sons to come in to receive the blessings from the father. He's old. And the boys are stood around him and he's lay on his, on, his, on his bed, Jacob. And for one last time, he gets his stick. Can you just picture this? He gets his stick and he sits himself up. And they're all ready to see what the dad's got for them. Dad, what are you going to reward us with? Dad, what are you, what are you going to leave me? What are you going to pass on to me? And Jacob begins to speak. And he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength. And I can see Reuben stood there. He's the firstborn. He's going to get a double portion. And I can see him. He looks around at his brothers and his chest begins to puff out a little bit my firstborn excellency dignity and then it comes to him like a bucket of cold water he says uncontrolled as water you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed he defied my couch Reuben Thirty-nine years before this event, Reuben had slept with his father's concubine. Thirty-nine years ago, and for thirty-nine years, Jacob had waited and waited and waited for Reuben to say, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm sorry, Dad. I did a terrible thing. Jacob never mentioned it. 
He waited for his son to repent. But he never did. He never did. And for all those years, Jacob knew what had happened. And it never came out till the judgment seat. It never came out. But when it did come out, it came out in public. Came out in public. You see, unconfessed sin, it's not a good thing. This is a judgment seat. This isn't a mercy seat. For us today, thank God, the mercy seat is still available. We can go and confess our sins before the Father now and get things right. We can't bury things and ignore them and, and just, as, just as if they've never happened. Because one day, if we don't, we're going to meet them again. Sin's not an issue whether you're lost or whether you're saved, whether you're saved, whether you're unsaved, in other speak. That's all been dealt with at Calvary. This is down to how we perform in the family of God, like these boys performed in the family of Jacob. It didn't affect his place in the kingdom. He was still a son. He didn't get kicked out of the family. He was still a son. But if you read in the New Testament, when it, when it gives lists of the tribes, you'll find that Reuben's relegated from first. Just read it. Simeon and Levi... Two boys. And he speaks to them together. Simeon and Levi. It says the swords are implements of violence. One day the, the sister went down into the village. And there she met a man. And he, he wasn't a man of Israel. He was a man from outside of the God's family of Israel. And one day she couldn't hide her shame no longer. And she went and she said to her father, well, I'm in the family way. And it's this young man. And the young man came. And he wasn't a bad lad by all accounts because he, he wanted to put the matter right. He wanted to marry the girl. Simeon and Levi had other ideas. And if you, if you read that story about what they did and what the agreement was, that all, all his family and all, all, all the men should be circumcised. Well, I'm not going to go too much into that, but it's, it's painful, I would imagine. 
As soon as that had happened, Simeon and Levi went in. They slew the man. They slew, the, they slew this boy. They slew and killed his cattle, his oxen. And it was a terrible thing they did. And you know, they, they acted worse. It's, it's like Christians. Do you know Christians that act and they do things that the unsafe people wouldn't do? I'll get away with it. You won't get away with it. They acted terribly. Simeon and Levi. I don't know the circumstances between these boys, but I, I do know when I was a young man, and I'm, I'm talking 14, 15, I got into uh, the wrong crowd. And I did something I would never, ever have done if I'd have been on my own. I did something, and I finished up in juvenile court before the judge at 15. I was a disgrace to my mother, my father. I'll not tell you what I did or what. It's all gone. It's all finished and passed. But the point of the thing is I would never, ever have done what I did if it hadn't been for my peers, for peer pressure. Because I was with a group of lads that, re that led me the wrong way. And what I would say to you today, be careful of the company that you keep. Be careful of the company you keep. I'm not saying don't talk to people outside the church because how are you going to preach the gospel if, you, if that's the case? No, be careful. God dealt with Simeon and Levi. You can read about it. Again, I have no time to go into all the stories. But what did God do with Simeon and Levi? These two boys who did that wicked thing, he split them up. He scattered them. Simeon, you go down there, Levi, you go over there. You're not, you are not going to be together in this kingdom. They were both sons. They both stayed in the family. Judah, whew, the next son, Judah was crowned at the judgment seat of Jacob. Judah. You know, Judah had a very, very shady past. <laughs> Judah had a very, very shady past. And I wonder what he must have been thinking. It seemed what his father had said to Reuben. It seemed what his father had said to Simeon and Levi. And I can imagine, I can imagine that Ju Judah must have been quaking in his shoes or his sandals, as the case may be. He'd done some very, very dodgy things. Whatever will he say about the pagan woman that I married? He took a wife, a Canaanite woman. What will he think about my failure as a father? You see, Judah had two sons. 
if you read the story, and God took them, the poor of them, because they were wicked. What's God going to think about me as a father? What about the way I behave with Tamar? Now there's a story about Jacob and, and uh, uh, Judah and Tamar. It's a terrible story. He was going to have Tamar burned. What about the part I played in selling Joseph? That was Judah's idea. Let's sell him. Don't kill him, let's sell him. We can make some profit. Judah. Oh God, I wish I'd never done those things. But he had. But you know what? There was no mention of any of these things in Judah's past. Why? No mention of anything that he'd done. Shady. No mention of him selling his idea to sell Joseph. No mention of the affair that he had with Tamar. No mention of it. Why? Because there was a day when Judah went to the feet of Joseph and repented and cried. Bitter tears. He cried. And of Tamar, he said, This woman is more righteous than I. You see, it was dealt with. It was dealt with. And there was no mention of it at the judgment seat. The mercy seat is still available. Before we go to the judgment seat, we can get things right with God. And it's essential that we do. Because if we don't, remember this Sunday, we will meet it again. Judah was crowned. He wasn't judged, he was crowned. The Messiah came from Judah, the tribe of Judah. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus. And then there was a young lad who was consoled at the mercy seat, at the judgment seat, I'm sorry. Asher. Who was Asher? Does anybody know who Asher was? He was a nobody. He was the lowest of the law. He was the son of Leah's bondwoman, Zilpah. He was the second son, as it happens. Dan and uh, Naphtali were, were sons of the bondwoman too, but they were sons of Bilhah. That was Rachel's handmaiden. Leah's handmaiden, Zilpah. 
You see, Asher, <laughs> he was the unwanted son of the unwanted slave of the unwanted wife. Not a very noble position to hold. It was the lowest of the law. You see, Leah never held the strings of Jacob's heart. Do you remember that, that he, he worked seven years for Rachel? And he went to bed. And he woke up the following morning and discovered he'd married the wrong woman. Some of us find that out sometimes, but not as quick as that. He married the wrong woman. Anyway, Asher, this poor lad. The Bible says to him, his food shall be rich and he will yield royal dentists. You see, God's got a special place, I believe, for nobodies. And when I say a nobody, I don't mean if you know Jesus, then you're not a nobody. Don't get me wrong. But there are people who, who come to church and they don't seem to do great things. They do menial tasks, faithfully. They don't preach to thousands. They're not particularly distinguished. Don't have any great gifts, if you like. Not seen at the front every week. Not that that's anything to go by. Not seen to be doing things in public. Do things behind the scenes kind of thing. I mean, don't get me... I mean, like, hoovering up. Putting chairs out, preparing the communion, washing the dishes, making the tea, welcoming people into church. Probably never going to get on television doing, doing that. And not many people see it. But I'll tell you what, God does. God sees it. God sees it and rewards it. Asher, this young little <coughs> second son of the unwanted servant of the unwanted wife, Asher, he was going to yield royal dates. He was going to bring things to the king's table. This little nobody. Isn't that fantastic? Most of the work of God today is, is, most of it is done by nobodies. And, and don't get me wrong, when I use that phrase, I don't mean that you're, you're a nobody. I mean that you are a somebody just getting on with it. There was one boy <laughs> who was actually looking forward to what his dad was going to say. One of them, his name was Joseph. Joseph lived a good life. In fact, he's the most, it says the most Christ-like man in the Bible. In fact, if you know that scripture, Romans 8, 8.28, it's one of my favorite scriptures. It says that 
All things work together for good for those that love God and are called to his purpose. And I'll tell you what, if you read the life of Joseph, never is that scripture more true. All things work together for good. Was it good that his brothers didn't like him? No. Was it good that he got slung in a pit? No. Was it good that he got sold into Egypt? No. Was it good that he got thrown into prison? No. Come in. But all these things work together to glorify God. God brought good out of all the bad in Joseph's life. So when things aren't going so good, because I don't believe that we all live in a bed of roses, but I remember, Lord, you're going to bring good out of this. Somewhere you were going to bring good out of this because you promised. And that's good enough because you promised. So to wrap this up, remember we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. It's known as the Beamer Throne. That's another sermon in itself. The judgment seat of Christ. It's not talking about whether you're saved or whether you're going to be kicked out of the family or anything like that. It's talking about the deeds you have done in the body of Christ, in the family of God. It's the way you've lived your life. And as the, the, the verse says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 10, good things, like in the life of Joseph, are bad things, like in the, the lives of some of these lads. They went on to rule the kingdom. We are going to be involved in a kingdom, the kingdom of God, the coming kingdom. It's not come yet. It's coming. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a kingdom established, and you, are, if you know the Lord as your Savior, are going to be a part of that kingdom. It's what part you're going to play in that kingdom, and that depends on your performance in the family of God. Whether you agree with me or disagree with me, that's what it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7. So, are you happy with your life, the way it's going? That's a fair question, isn't it? I'll ask you the more poignant question, is Jesus happy, do you think, with the way you're living your life? I can't tell you. You only know that yourself. Can we be sure and can we be confident at the judgment seat of Christ? Well, Paul, the apostle, he said, I fought a good fight. He said that when he was in the dungeon and he was cold and he was old and he was confident. You don't want to appear at the other judgments 
If you belong to Jesus, you will not appear at the other judgments, the great white throne. You won't appear in judgments anyway. Today, you can come to the cross, as Nigel's already said. You can come to the cross. If you don't know Jesus, in here, if you don't know Jesus in here, today, you can. Come on, sweetheart. Today you can. Today you can come to the cross. You can come to the cross and you can bring your sins and lay them at the cross and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lads, can you sit down for a minute, Jim? Just sit down a minute. Wait till the end. Thank you. You can come to the cross, you can repent, and you can get yourself right with God today. There's a mercy seat still available. John 1 and verse 12, I'll read this. so I don't misquote it. John chapter 1 and verse 12. It's in here somewhere. John chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, But as many as received him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Do you believe this morning? Do you believe? Not the person sat next to you. They can't give an account for you when you come face to face with God. The Bible says each man must give an account for himself and each woman must give an account. So you can't say, ah, I think he's okay, she's okay, yeah, let her... No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. But if you receive Jesus today, you can know that you are indeed a part of the family of God. If you were don't understand what I am saying to receive Jesus, then come and see me, come and see Nigel afterwards. And we will talk and we will explain. But as I, as I say, that, that is it, that is the judgment seat of Christ, just looking at a few of these lads and a few of their characteristics. And their characteristics are no different than some of our characteristics, to be honest. We're all human, aren't we? But how are you right now? How are you with God? Are you holding, are you holding things that you believe you might not have seen? <laughs> it's easy, just confess.
have a right standing before him. Amen. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Thank you for the, uh, thank you for Genesis, Lord. Thank you for your, the, the whole of your word. I ask you, Father, to bless these people, Lord. Let us go on, Lord, to have a great day in fellowship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.